This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Koto, welcome to episode 94 of Half Measures Podcast. As Yellowstone's Rip Wheeler once said, there are sharks and minnows in this world. If you don't know which you are, you ain't a shark. And joining me is someone who knows a thing or two about how to catch a fish. It's Dan Whiting. Kia ora, Dan. Kia ora, Paul. If you want to fight me, I'll fight you all day. That's it. It's, it's, I'm, I'm your Rip Wheeler. It's the Rip Wheeler vibe. I was, uh, it's been a big vibe for me all week after watching this week's Yellowstone, which we'll obviously get to. But uh, how you been? Not too bad, man. It's been uh, it's been pretty torrential here in, in Wellington. Now all of a sudden we're back in the cranking summer. We've got a few weeks left of the year. It's almost all over. I, I can't believe it. We're so close to the end now. And we're so close, in fact, that today is a momentous day, Dan. Do you know what today is? I have no idea. It is Christmas cake day. It is the day when the Christmas cake comes out. And I, yeah, my wife has made me a Christmas cake. And the reason I say she's made me a Christmas cake is because the kids don't eat it and she doesn't, she's not really into it. So I essentially have this whole Christmas cake to myself. And that is just the first present. I am with your wife and kids on this, Paul. Christmas cake, not for me. Um, My mum, every sort of second you'll be like, do you want a Christmas cake? And I'm always like... No, mum. I haven't had it for years. Like, I, I don't need it. It's, it's, I've just never been about it. I'm not about the Christmas mince pie. I'm, oh, I'm not about it. I, I, well, this would be great. If you and I ever were somewhere together and there was one Christmas pie left, it would be great because I would just take it every time. Please say yes to your mum next time she asks and just, uh, I will pay, like, a, you know, you can get couriers come to your house. I will pay for a courier to collect it and bring, bring She's it. She's desperate to make a cake for somebody. She would happily probably there make we go. a Christmas cake. I'll give you my address after the show and only for that reason. I'll tell you my my one Christmas weakness. Actually, I've got many weaknesses, but my my Christmas food weakness: shortbread. Oh, I yeah. can I cannot get enough of shortbread, and I purposefully only eat it over December January because otherwise I just I eat it all year, and I have to save it as a treat. Like I'm such an, a fiend for it. That's we're the same. Diana and I are like. If, if if there was like a, someone following us on the weekend in the car, they would think we were maniacs. We drove from supermarket to supermarket, just going in looking for shortbreads, like junkies, just looking for one more hit or something crazy. It was just unbelievable. And we only found there was this one box, and it's Walker's shortbread. It has to be the Walker's, the Scottish proper stuff. And it was it wasn't even the fingers; it was like the dog shaped one. It wasn't. I I don't even I don't even mess with store brought shortbread. I only take like home homemade shortbread, and so wow. So we're so pretentious. So where my mum, um, where I'm not accepting her cake, she'll happily bake me some uh, shortbread. And so each year I'm like, that's my order. Give me some shortbread, and it's it's so good. And I find my find myself often. People other people will be like, I'll bake some shortbread. It's pretty good. But I'm telling you, Paul, my mum's shortbread is top tier. Oh, I, I have no doubt of that. The the homemade is always the way, but I need to, and I don't want to really have any listeners tune out, but I need to tell you there is a difference between store-bought and Walker's shortbread. Walker's shortbread made in Scotland and imported. Honestly, that is one brand you need to give a go. I'm going to need to give it a whirl. Uh, I'm, I'm just I'm just not sure. I'll tell you a funny shortbread story. Is So my father-in-law 
um, knows of my fondness for shortbread. And, I was, you know, I've been talking up my mum's shortbread and he made me some one year and he's like, I want your honest review. It wasn't a very good, Paul. So I'm like, are you sure you want my honest review? He's like, yeah, I want your honest review because I want to be able to improve on it. So I said to him, I'm like, look, it's not great. <laughs> He, I think he used like brown flour or like a wheat flour instead of normal flour. Oh, yeah. And honestly, for the rest of the Christmas break, it's all I heard. Dan doesn't like my shortbread. I still hear it now. I'm not going to bake you shortbread, Dan. You don't like what I make, you know? So just, just be careful when people say, how's my shortbread? You might, you know, do some damage that you can't repair. That's why we only talk about the positive things we hear about the podcast in the mailbag and not the plethora of stuff that comes in with all the complaints. We just, you know, you just have to put that to one side. Is one of the complaints from my father-in-law about shortbread? Or? There's, there's a number of complaints about you, Dan, but we don't have the bandwidth or time. Uh, instead, shall we talk about what you've been watching this week? All right. Well, I've gone for a bit of a rewatch this week, and I don't know what came over us. We were talking about things that we're going to watch this um, Christmas holiday period, and one of the shows that's kind of been on our list is wanting to rewatch The Mandalorian. Not that it's, um, you know, we need to watch it and prep for the book of Boba Fett, but we've just been wanting to watch it. We've just been, oh, God, let's sit down and watch The Mandalorian. And we we actually rewatched it last year before we had season two. And so we've watched all of season one again this week. And I'll tell you, Paul, this is like my mum's shortbread. Bloody top tier TV show. Absolutely love it. I, it just, it's the music the the story like season like we just finished um there's only eight episodes as you know we only just finished uh, episode eight a couple of days ago and the, the tension's still there that i can't wait for season two it really just sort of builds upon itself in such a great way and that final episode has just really stood the test of time it's so good to be back with din and grogu and i can't wait to see some of the cast again in the next season it's if you're getting excited for the book of Boba Fett, do yourself a favor. Go and rewatch The Mandalorian. It is great. I really, just even listening to you, feel like, oh, can I do that? 24 episodes. When can I fit that in? I really want Six, to now. 16 episodes. Oh, 16. I'm, I'm counting season three already. Look at me getting excited. Okay, even easier, 16. It is it is incredible. You and I raved about, I think, just about every episode as it dropped each week as we reviewed it. We both had it as number two on our top tens. It's going to be weird doing our top ten podcast, you know, top ten TV series, and not having the Mandalorian in there because there's just no doubt it would have been in that top one or two spot. Um, I can only imagine then that this must have been very enjoyable on a on a nice big screen TV. Oh, it was it was so good, and it was great just to watch it. Like we, it took us two nights to watch it, right? Because you know, even though we're only talking eight episodes per season, some of those episodes are between 30 and 40 minutes so mm -hmm. they're not super long so they're kind of the perfect length it's actually got me appreciating some of the episodes a little bit more than i did maybe the first couple of times around so and kind of changing my views on some of the other episodes so um because this is half measures i'm not looking at the episodes in front of me right now but you know the episode where uh they go to the they go to that planet and there's the atst that comes out of the forest i do um and so i for some reason, didn't overly enjoy that episode the first few times around. I loved that episode this time. I thought it was so good. Even Cara Dune has really grown on me. Some of my earlier maybe comments in the podcast around, I'm not sure about some of the the acting of some of the the lesser characters. For example, um, the the woman at the Mos Eisley spaceport. I had no qualms with her this time. Like it, it all just seemed to work for me. So I don't know what it is, but it's aging like a fine wine. 
I have no doubt it is. That episode you're referring to, um, Chapter 4, Sanctuary, is still one of the lowest ranked episodes of The Mandalorian. And I wonder if what you've done by 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 binging it and, and seeing it as part of the flow makes it more appreciative. Um, because, of course, I haven't done that with Season 2. I, we just did that week by week as we reviewed it. And I think seeing Chapter 2 in its entirety in one go, so you know, yeah, the second season, sorry, would be quite a different experience from the weekly drop so i i feel now like it's it's definitely going to happen oh yeah look i'm next week when i talk to you guys about chapter two i I'm, I'm expecting to come back raving um the other and the episode which i thought i always really enjoyed but didn't enjoy as much this time is the prisoner episode mm. so um i in my mind the first time watching that it was really great but i actually found it a bit more of a not a slog but it was a it was a less favorable episode for me okay Okay, well, I look forward to hearing your season two reviews and only, yeah, only a couple more weeks down and we'll be starting into Book of Boba Fett, so that's really got me hyped. Oh, it's honestly, it's got me so excited and much like, uh, you know, when we're talking about uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe and how sort of excited it got, it got me for the toy line, here I am again, I've parked those toys, I'm like thinking about, oh, those, those Mandalorian toys are so good, like, I should have jumped on that collector train, it's, it's such a great, great modern series. Christmas is coming. Indeed. Uh, and then I have watched a movie. So uh, this is a movie on Neon here in New Zealand, a movie called The Tax Collector. So this movie uh, came out in 2020, um, stars friend of the show Shia LaBeouf, and it's directed by um, David Ayer. And I'll tell you, Paul, this was a wacky time, a wacky time of a movie. So a lot of... Uh, media around this movie when it first came out and you know I'm, I'm not sure how true this is or but it kind of feels like it probably is true that Shire actually got his chest tattooed specifically for this movie um, you know how committed he is he pulled mm. out his own tooth um, for Fury but anyway this was a interesting movie like great director like Shire I actually quite like Shire as a as an actor and it's kind of like a – it's quite a dark, critty story of basically these two guys who play the, the tax collection role working for some local crime lords. And what happens is someone basically comes over and takes over, over their gig. And so all the gangs respect these guys and they know that they all have to pay their tax uh, to, the, to, the, to the crime bosses. And it's a bit of a – like, like, this isn't this is by nowhere near an amazing movie, but it's kind of a a gritty, occasionally fun, quite violent, okay time. This was a this was one of our choices, wasn't it, for movie of the week this week? And we went with the other option. But I remember thinking at the time, a that poster really speaks to me. It just it just has a lot of things going on. As you said, there's all that media hype. Um, you know, love him or or loathe him. Dave, David Ayer has given us some movies that are always worth talking about. One of them being Sabotage, which is the most underrated movie of all time, I think. Um, and of course, friend of the show, Shire. You know, he he does deliver some really extraordinary performances, even in movies that have been, you know, heavily criticised. I always think of him in the Peanut Butter Falcon. I just, uh, I have to say, it was it was a Close call on which movie to go with, and this this one, even though it doesn't rate as well, you've said enough to make me feel like I would still want to go back and see it. 
Look, Peanut Butter Falcon, fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. Also, um, this is by the same writer director of End of Watch, which is a a movie I rewatched oh, back in around April, I think, this year. It had a fantastic time, and this movie kind of has that vibe to it. You would almost think that this movie is kind of filmed on a low budget because it kind of has a bit of a grainy effect. I'm actually almost surprised that I feel like a lot of the the promotion of this film features Shire on lots of sort of posters and, and artwork and stuff. I wouldn't even say that he's the main character. He's definitely one of the, the mm. main characters, but I wouldn't say he's the main character. Right. Um, it's just, look, it's something different. It's something a little bit quirky. It's... If you like the sort of like end of watch, um, Sicario type films, you might find something in this. It's as I say, it's it's probably it's nowhere near in that tier, and I think the ratings kind of reflect that. But look, I found the length not too bad. An hour thirty five uh, had enough of a story to keep me kind of interested. I, it, it, I guess I had fun. That's great, and I did not know uh, that David I was the writer director. Um, of that movie with the one you just mentioned. I've already forgotten the name. End of Watch. Yeah, and I didn't realise that was him as well. So, very interesting. And apart from the things that we've watched together, Paul, that is me this week. Awesome. Uh, so, for me, Dan, I've now moved into 1977's The Spy Who Loved Me. So, uh, powering through the Roger Moore movies, James Bond investigating the hijacking of a British... Uh, submarine and a Russian submarine and then later a US submarine Um, and he gets the help of a KGB agent whose lover he killed hence the title of the movie Um, yeah we always talk about these 60s and 70s posters this is another one Um, downstairs we have a a Bond poster wall um, and this one's pretty much right in the center It's, it's really awesome another theme song that gets stuck in your head although it didn't translate well into the soundtrack of the movie um it wasn't it wasn't good to use like some of the other ones but uh this was another really good fun movie there was more gadgets and so this is the one with the car that turns into a a, like a little mini submarine Uh, you know it's just it's just incredible how they how they did that in, in 1977 it really does look quite convincing um Roger Moore on top of his game. He's really motoring through his skills as a, as a Bond actor. I think the thing I'm finding with these Roger Moore movies is they're just great fun. And I think with 70s movies, that f- kind of fits well. And there's, you know, there's plenty of time for us to get serious by the time we get to Timothy Dalton. Um, but every time I hit play on a Roger Moore movie recently, I just know that it's going to be enjoyable, entertaining. It's, you know, sometimes it's over the top. There's a bit of that in this in this movie. With um, this is the movie that introduces Jaws, um, who, who of course is is great. But um, yeah, it's just real good, solid fun. And I think yeah, for anyone who's not watched like a Roger Moore Bond movie in a while, this could really be something that could really surprise you because not only watching it in production or giving me that sort of that view, but it's just something that I never appreciated when I watched it, perhaps when I was a lot younger, it's, it's a real good time. Just looking at the, the trailer, um, some of the scenes are coming back to me were particularly in the snow and yes. sort of the early sort of, I guess, green screen effects where, you know, people are shooting guns while they're sort of on their skis and it's, it, it's a hell of a good time. Yeah. I, I mean, I was, yeah, just thinking about the cast 
probably Barbara Barbara Buck didn't convince me as the Russian secret agent. To be fair, I think she was more of a model than an actress, if you know what I mean. And, and even could I often hear the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kurt Jurgens, who plays the villain Stromberg, he he was a really well known actor. But I would also say I'd place him probably bottom of the pile of the Bond villains so far. But you almost don't notice it in this movie because you get distracted by. Yeah, you know, Jaws is probably for me the most famous henchman of all time, next to maybe like Odd Job. He's seven foot two, Richard Keel, with metal teeth. He doesn't talk, but he likes to smile a lot. And it's the the comedy element that really comes through in this movie is how he survives everything. I don't know how much you recall, but like he he gets um, if he, he survives this fall, which no human can survive. He gets. For, well, other than Vin Diesel, of course, my apologies. Um, he gets fed to a shark, um, but of course he ends up biting the shark to death. You know, um, he survives a car crash and just gets out and dusts himself off. He he is amazing. And of course he comes back in the next movie as well. Um, a lot of great fun, this movie. And so, yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm fully into the Roger Moore Bond. It feels very natural and I'm really enjoying it. It's good that the the transition um, has worked. I'll tell you, Paul, every time you talk about these movies, particularly this one, I'm just getting a stronger and stronger urge to watch the Austin Powers movies. Oh, yeah, they're good. Although I wonder, how will they translate? I don't know. I don't know. I, I imagine they maybe haven't aged well, but for some reason it's just, I don't know whether it's just looking at these scenes, it's the movie titles, it's the posters. Yeah. It's making me want to go back. Yeah, those movies do draw on a lot of, I think, the earlier Bonds or the 70s Bonds. So, uh, hey, who knows? In a, in about 16 movies' time, I'm going to be looking for something new, so could be that. Um, the other thing I want to talk about this week, Dan, um, is season two of Modern Love. So earlier this year, I watched season one, and I came into that a bit late, but it was a great find. And so the last few weeks, um, we've been watching season two um sort of in that palette cleanser style um always a fascinating watch so this is the this is the show that's based on the new york times column where um love letters are, are turned into episodes and they're sort of like perfect bite size episodes it's it's one of those rare shows where each episode you get new characters so if one episode doesn't quite land for you you go straight into the into the next one which is awesome um there was a great guest cast in this this second season. Mini Driver, Kit Harrington were standouts. And yeah, like I say, if, it, if one story doesn't grab you, if it doesn't feel right, the next episode, you're into a whole new thing anyway. So yeah, it's. I know I talked about this earlier in the year, but it, it really is one of those shows that I didn't know if I was going to enjoy. I thought it might be a bit gimmicky or, or cliche, but I guess the New York Times wouldn't be the New York Times if they were publishing letters that just weren't just genuinely really great stories. You've raved about the show multiple times, Paul, and I think the, you know, the the cast as as you've said is absolutely phenomenal. So, I think so. So, would you class this as a as a palate cleanser? Or I think it easily could be. I mean, it's that I don't want to sound too sort of pretentious here, but it's like it's for me one episode at a time is almost enough like and i think that is because sometimes you you leave the story and it can be quite an emotional thing like i said they're not always the fairy tale hollywood endings these these are real stories and sometimes it's not you know it, it doesn't work out how you how you want it to and so 
you sort of just want to let it let it sort of marinate and, and leave it at that. So I would say this would be, if you were in the wrong frame of mind, watching this in one go could, could be quite an emotional watch, I would say. But it's, yeah, it's really well done. And um, yeah, I hope they make many more seasons. It's uh, it's definitely one of the best shows I've seen this season, uh, this, sorry, this year. And it's uh, both seasons one and two on Amazon Prime. Good recommendation. And yeah, other than the three or four things we've watched together, that is me, Dan. So shall we head to Montana? Oh no, shall we? Sorry, my apologies. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we are going there. Sorry, you looked at me like you were about to punch the screen, but I guess that was you just going all rip. That was, that was just me getting ready, just uh, puffing up my chest, getting all cowboy, cowboyed up, as they say. So this is season four, episode six, titled I Want to Be Him. So... Look, I don't know about you, Paul. Love this episode of Yellowstone. I feel like a lot happened, a lot of great sort of character moments, a lot of sort of focus, obviously, on sorting out what's happening with the Cowboys. We had a great, great scene between uh, Beth and uh, is it Summer, the the girl that that John's met. Like that, yeah. that's just amazing. Uh, Casey sort of moving on. We've we've got a bit going on with Jamie. And like it's it's good just to kind of it's it's just a good show to be in. Like I just I I enjoy it so much. It really was a great episode. Those stories that we talk about week in week out are just all simmering along nicely. Some of them are definitely coming to the boil. Um, but as people that are loyal to the the Yellowstone brand how is it you say we we the wear brand. we wear the brand, you wear the brand. Yeah, we wear the yeah. i'm i'm very you'll live up to it thank you i'm very i've got to be real careful this is like when you talk star trek to me i know i've got to get it right i'm very worried as to where jamie's loyalty is ultimately going to fall at this point and if he makes an alliance with his um with his biological father well i mean i do hear that side of the story and i understand it but i'm still team dutton and i feel if this is the direction Jamie's going to go, I'm just going to sit back and wait for Beth to come and take him out. What about you? It's so annoying, isn't it? Because I love Jamie. He's great. Jamie, I, I think it's like he's he's kind of the way he's played as a character. Like he's he's kind of weak, isn't he? Like mm. he's easily kind of led by whoever's telling him the story. Yep. He's easily manipulated, and it's kind of funny, right? Because he's obviously a highly educated, super smart person. He's uh, what the governor. Um, of the of the town, and yet so easily just sort of pushed around by by his his dad. And I, I'm I'm with you. Like I kind of it's funny though because you know Beth is so horrible to him that it actually makes me feel for Jamie mm, that's every right. t- every time we have those scenes. But at the same time, I'm about Yellowstone. I'm, I'm Team Dudden. I'm about Beth. This, I, I I can't switch. The team dad and bit comes that to how I felt at the end of season three when we saw what happened in those three separate stories and we were like left in this who's been taken out and then for Jamie to you know for all that work to have been done and to Jamie to to work out who it was and to pull the gun on him I was like at that point I was like here we go but then I thought to myself okay this is a short season but surely it's too early for him to be putting the trigger on the dad and. So yeah, it's it's a tough one because I really enjoy the Jamie story. I really enjoy the character, and I just I honestly and this is this is great because I honestly have no idea which way he's ultimately going to fall, and that's what makes it good because I can't predict this show. 
I actually wonder, I was thinking about this uh, after this episode, that I feel like, you know, season three ended with such a bang and season four we just all came in to be like, oh, what's going on? Who lived? Who died? And I feel like they've kind of really dialed back the pace a little bit. And I wonder, Paul, you know, this is a shorter season. If they know they've got, you know, it's, this is a, a top performing show, they might be locked in for another, you know, two or three seasons. So they maybe intentionally kind of look, we're able, only able to do eight episodes this season. Let's kind of, you know, push the story along. But they know they've got a lot more runway to tell some of these bigger stories that we all want to see. Yeah, no, I think you could be 100% right. And if they are locked in for that many seasons, they can't go killing off characters. You know, they, they're they going to need that breadth although there are still so many characters here i mean the casey story hardly gets well it had more attention this week than it perhaps has had before and that story i kind of like i can i love the look of this house they found and i can understand how they're feeling but i'm like i don't want you there i want you i want you back at the ranch i want i want you back in the action so where that story is going i don't know the other story i wanted to mention to you dan is um with lloyd what happened to him the punishment I mean, it doesn't sit well with me. Despite everything John and Rip do that might be bad, I still love them as characters. They're still the two big guns that call us in. And yeah, Lloyd, I feel so torn because he went too far as well, right? I mean, Lloyd went too far. Lloyd was out of line um, stabbing um, stabbing the other guy, Walker. And I was just like, it was frustrating, right? Because I thought we were going to have a breakthrough um, with uh, Lloyd and Carter having that having that chat and kind of having a heart to heart and how like actually you've got to get back in the bunkhouse you've got to be a part of the crew and then but like obviously Lloyd is like he's so angry about this whole situation and I'm just not convinced it's out of his system like I'm convinced he's going to catch the train soon yeah oh I undoubtedly think he is and and of course the 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 impact that this has had John's just like. He's he's walked in. He said they're done. They're, these girls, they're out. I don't know how to feel about the girls getting kicked out of the bunkhouse because, on the one hand, all of this trouble and this emotive type reaction, you know, the, has has come about by them coming into. But on the other hand, it seems unfair and you know a little bit sexist that maybe you know it's like oh the girls have to go. But maybe in this scenario, it just doesn't work well to have them all under the roof and can they just get can they just have their own bunkhouse rather than being told you're done yeah i think that they'll be back in some way because like tita is another like a fantastic she's character, a great right? Tita, right and i would hate to see her go and i i wonder whether there might be actually they'll have their own own separate quarters um you know even though yellowstone is sort of buried back in the past and doesn't sort of conform to modern day rules around what should and shouldn't happen in the workplace. So ho- hopefully they'll be back. But um, that that fight was pretty brutal. And I feel like they've really made Rip into one of the main stars of the show, along with Beth. Because if you think about the journey of these characters from early on, they, they never had as much screen time as they do now. And people just love it. They love the fucking... <laughs> my language. I'm, I'm sounding like Beth Dutton. <laughs> um, the Beth and Rip show. It's so good. <laughs> so good. I really enjoyed that. Um, I really enjoyed... Um, the, talking of rip, just, just there was just the line where there was stuff going on, and there was, you know, Lloyd nearly killed Walker. The ambulance has turned up, and Walker's so like, is he going to survive? I mean, the pulling out of that knife, I I jumped out of my chair, I couldn't cope. And then, you know, later on, the explanation, what's going on? And he says, oh, 
just cowboy shit, baby. That, that that's all he had to say about that. That was that was great. Beth had some great lines. The only the only thing I will say is I felt that the writing of Beth in this episode, it seems like again that they're asking for me. I think the actress to go a bit too extreme. It's like there's nothing she's ever saying that's genuine, and she can't use dramatic one-liners all day long because then nothing ever shocks me or surprises me. Like she's dialed up the whole time, and I prefer it when they balance it a bit more. It's just. I find myself laughing at her a lot, which which is which is fun. But I just I want to be a little bit more scared of her than I used to be. If you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and maybe that's a little bit because we see her so often now on screen that you know seeing her smoke and like put her cigarette out on Jamie's table just doesn't doesn't even impact us. Now we're just like yeah. <laughs> classic Beth. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. Like we may be getting too much because those shocks are the are the fun part of her character, and I, even just her 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 aggressiveness with um john's guest in the house was so like it's like beth do you just ever are you always just operating at like 11 like can you just tune it down a little bit are you ever just like oh hey who are you like you're just coming fire and brimstone from the start yeah there was an intense scene i thought um uh piper parabo who played summer of course who we probably know best from coyote ugly i thought she she's playing that role really, really well. I'm really enjoying the dialogue that she has back and forth with John as well. Um, the one story in this episode that um, wasn't as, because normally I'm all about Team Jimmy. I love the Jimmy story. I just, I feel like they need to just, just crank the Jimmy story up a little bit. But there's there's lots of things moving and shaking and it's just, it's such a shame we've only got two more to go. I think um, Jimmy's going to come back to the ranch at some point. Like there might be, a, maybe there's going to be a bit of a time jump this season. Um, I don't think this no, season, no. but you could see him coming back in the hundred oh, percent, yeah, next season. And all of a sudden, he's like a pro cowboy. He knows how to ride properly. He knows how to rope. He's he's got all the skills, um, and he'll actually be of you know some some high value. And he'll have to sort of, you know, people will probably be in, in shock of what he what he brings to the table. But I think the only way to do that will be with some type of time either we don't see him for a while or they do they do jump forward indeed indeed so no really good episode really enjoyable um on behalf of our producer trisha brady who does not like swearing at all i apologize again to listeners for for rip sorry not ripped and just you know really really getting quite excited there um shall we move universes and go across to the the walking dead paul um, we are at the end. We're at the we had the final episode of The Walking Dead World Beyond, season two, episode ten. The synopsis this week: the remaining members of the group fight back enemies, both living and dead, on their quest to save the future. Now, I know we're going to have a bit of a combo about this, but I feel like when I think about this episode, do you know who I think of? I think of you know Greta Thunberg. Um, the environmentalist yes and she's like and she's giving that speech about you've stolen my childhood you've stolen my youth you've, you know like this is how i feel about this show paul like you've you've taken all these things from me you've taken my time you've made me talk about it on a podcast you've, you've made me dig dive <sighs> like i had an okay time on this final episode but i've got a lot of complaints <laughs> as per usual yeah oh look i i, I feel like this show has, I feel like it's gone out on an okay note. I feel it's given us a bit of a, a bit of a bang. It's given us a pretty good closure for the stories that it was telling. When, I, but when, as you've just sort of touched on, when I look back, 
it reminds me that there were so many stories they told us over 20 episodes that we just didn't need. And if they'd cut probably 30 to 40% of those stories, this would have been a lot better. And if they focus in on some other things, as we've talked about before, it may have been a lot better. But of course, um, I thought the episode delivered well on some things. It gave us some some closures, as I say. But the, the the of course, one of the things we'll get to is that post credit scene, which was the longest I've seen in any show. And it was very significant. And I actually wonder how many Walking Dead fans who don't watch World Beyond or, or gave up um, might actually get a lot of value by checking out that um, that scene because it does have some huge ramifications. And I guess we should probably save that because I think you and I will have a, several things to talk about it. But um, for the characters themselves, I by and large was happy with how things ended it was nice to see silas finally had a purpose and i think seeing him in the the crm uni, uh, uniform tells me that there's a chance he might show up in some future incarnation i i see your face dan but i feel like we could see silas again i felt like that's going to be the future whether it's the rick grimes movie whether it's daryl and carol whether it's another spin-off show i mean how many spin-offs can we get I tell you, Paul, right now, I'm not doing a week by week of this. <laughs> no, we won't. I, no, no. I will have to save it up. Um, yeah, look, I think that my my main frustration with this is I felt like it felt like a, you know, at the end of the Sarah Connor Chronicles, and it's like, oh, are they going to continue? Are they not going to continue? Obviously, the last minute they found out they're not, so they're furiously trying to like wrap up the story. Yeah. That's what it felt like with this, and I feel like that wasn't necessary for a show that only knew it had two seasons and for us to be like pretty much jumping between like mega fight scene mega death um like i wish some of the stuff actually happened in episode five of this season and we could have actually like fleshed out some of the sort of wider storylines and impact rather than just sort of racing between all of these kind of like finishing moves that everyone had to yeah to play out. it reminds me of when we reviewed the rise of skywalker all the way back in episode two of this podcast then and we um we talked about how because they changed writers and directors halfway through the trilogy that there was no consistency and there was no way of keeping it on the this is not the case here these guys it was the same writers it was the same team the whole way through they've got a chance to make a game plan for me you start this is me bringing my work brain to the conversation but you start with where you want to get to the solution or what it is the outcomes you want and you work backwards from that and how can you tell the story along the way and make it interesting and i just felt as you said that they just it's like they suddenly checked their watch and were like well crikey we better finish this up <laughs> i think you yeah, that's right and i think there was and there actually was some quite good character moments in this like you know, for example, I, I laughed to myself but had a great time with um, when Felix had his Darth Maul moment and he kind of joined together his craft knives on the poles yeah. and sort of made like a staff and then like it truly felt like a Darth Maul moment. And, you know, his sort of finishing move on his nemesis in the CRM was great. Like I've never seen such a, a, a brutal finish, right? I've just sort of like cutting his guts open and, you know, kicking the spear and intestines everywhere. That was, that's funny enough, I have, three questions for you two about the post credits but the one question i had about the episode was actually about that like is that what happens when you spear someone in the gut that much guts falls out i mean didn't they that, that like 300 percent too much guts came out for me 
No, I think that's about the right amount. Like I used to be someone in the at lunchtime and that's exactly what happened. So, um, I knew you'd have the answer. No, I think, isn't there something like, don't you have like several kilometers of, of like intestines that like just spew out? Like, oh, you've yeah, got you, a can, lot, you like, can wrap it around the earth or something. I thought that was something just like, like that. a myth something or something. Like I don't know. But what was funny about it though, so, so you've pretty much got this like staff jaw going on. And then all of a sudden it felt like Huck also had to have a staff jaw with Jadis. And it felt like they were kind of fighting in a similar way. It's like, guys. Like, could you could you have spread this out a little bit? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't exactly like watching uh, Ray against Kylo in The Last Jedi, just to take it back to that conversation. I will say credit to the writers because I didn't expect them to give us some of the deaths that they gave us, and I felt like the the Huck Jadis fight didn't end the way I would have predicted it, and I really quite liked that. I gave Jadis quite a hard time over the last couple of weeks, and so I said, as a villain, she's poorly written. I felt like. They've they've turned the corner with her, and I think it's important because it looks like she could be potentially, you know, given the the relationship and how she's captured Rick and how she hinted again without mentioning Rick's name, but we all know what she's talking about. That's that's when the get you get excited. I'm salivating. Right? I'm salivating, Paul. When she start talking about the A, I brought the B. someone in. Is he an A or a B? You know, I I made him a B. I wanted to give him something. It's like say his name, say it, and it's I I'm actually with you that I actually have almost turned into a bit of a Jadis fan and that they've actually made her into quite a good villain and I love how far she's wanting to go and Samara actually said to me she's like like Jadis is a good person to hate as a character yes that's right and I I would actually welcome more Jadis yeah I think so I think Pollyanna McIntosh is is a great actress I've said that before I thought it was a character that was badly written but I think she's coming back into the fold and coming back into that Jadis that I remember from the from the garbage people in in the walking dead and i'm sure she'll be delighted to have to have that haircut one more time if she does come back i feel just watching you talking you know getting the salivating speech there that we're gonna have to pay the price and go to youtube premium so that we can provide our listeners with the full audio visual experience of this podcast (laughs) because you were quite animated talking about that and i've not seen that with the world beyond so credit to the show for at least getting that out of you um shall we shall we go to the post credit scene there because there's so much in there that I want to talk about. Um, what are your thoughts, first of all? Um, so, okay, so I think as you mentioned, if you didn't stick around for the post-credits or you're not a Walking Dead World Beyond fan but you are interested in the wider Walking Dead, you need to go on YouTube and watch this post credit scene because I think it's quite important to all of the Walking Dead universe going forward. And so, um, interestingly, the... I've actually watched this post credit scene a couple of times. So the first time, I just watched it with no, like obviously it's all in French, um, and so there's no there's no subtitles, right? And then I watched it again with subtitles uh, to get the translation. Right. And then I watched the, a YouTube sort of like summary just to make sure that um, I wasn't being too smooth brain about what was actually happening. And I think the, the big takeout for me is pretty huge that A, they're referencing another country, Um B, that we've got a whole new type of uh, walker. We've got a um, Black Summer, yep. World War Z, super fast, slightly more intelligent, turns quicker um, zombie. And I love our throwback to season one of The Walking Dead. Like that alone was pretty exciting. I love, there's a few things I love about that. Firstly, I love the fact that you watched it the first time with no subtitles on. I don't know how that would have been. I wouldn't have coped. Um, uh, what else was I going to pick out of that? Um, oh, Second, the Black Summer zombies, it's like, were they listening to us? Because we've been saying just a few 
episodes ago about when we were talking about Black Summer saying imagine The Walking Dead with with these smart intelligent zombies in there um, and the faster as well much quicker on their feet which is going to bring a different level of intensity if that's the type of zombie they choose to bring into the Rick Grimes movie or, or even into the, the, the Daryl Carroll series that, that really changes things up and yeah that, um, that don't forget in season one the zombies were a little bit more intelligent because they were like trying to open doors and they were throwing rocks. So this 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 evolution, sort of this this way back. The big thing for me that, as well was the way they explained the origin of how the zombies came to be was something I didn't, I never expected to find out about Medichlorians with the Force. You know, I didn't expect that. I don't know if we even needed it, but we got it. I didn't expect to find how this thing started and i really felt that that as a layer of value which will you know how we've said oh once we've watched this final show episode we'll, we'll never talk about the world beyond again i feel like this is now a show that will forever live in walking dead memory because it will always be referenced for this post-credit scene um and having the guy back i can't think of the guy's name from the from the cdc that was a really nice touch they did really well with that yeah, that was really fascinating, right, to confirm that the outbreak started in France. And I think it's interesting, right, because when the uh, this post-credit scene started and happened in French, the reason I didn't put subtitles on straight away is I was waiting for it to, like, something to happen or something to sort of flip into. But as you said, like, the, the cutscene just keeps going and going and going. Did it not? Did did the credits not come up automatically? No. Oh, or maybe, did I turn mine on? I don't know. No, I've forgotten. Um very interesting the 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 writing on the wall um uh the the dead are born here um the graffiti that was in french um there was a lot of stuff in there. i think i would probably benefit from watching that youtube video that you just talked about i imagine there's there's quite a few things in there but it's um yeah very very fascinating what's interesting is obviously so they're talking about the the people who started the outbreak um, are obviously being hunted down by people and and executed as such. And what is interesting is there is a Walking Dead comic uh, one shot um, about Rick Grimes' brother, and um, where Rick Grimes' brother is during the the outbreak. He's actually in Spain, I believe. And so what is interesting is I think, like you've said, the flow on impact of this to the wider Walking Dead universe is huge, right? And I thought, and I'm not quite sure the status of this. The, the the guy from the CDC who they're talking to. Dr. Jenner. Dr. Jenner. I thought he died back in season one. Yeah, well, so this is the thing. So this 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 video that they're watching, what is the, what's the time in which that video was recorded? Um, because the way he's talking, it seems pre the interaction with Rick Grimes and his gang, but... I don't know. I feel like I need another watch. There's, there's, there's almost so much in that five, I think nearly five minute um, mm. post credit scene that they could have, and dare I say it, should have made that a whole episode. That would have been. Imagine that episode, a whole episode in France with that whole discussion and just drawn out and giving us the detail. I would have loved that. I feel like I, I think I go back to one of my earlier points from one of the many episodes we talked about the world beyond is i want the blueprint of how you're going to connect all this story together mm. like are we what are we joining up here are we going to connect everything like i just would have i 
I just would have I wanted a Rick moment so badly and it kind of makes sense that I didn't get it because I don't think the world beyond is kind of mainstream enough to connect to the, the wider universe but I would just love to know like are our fear characters going to connect in somehow like how's it all going to connect and just seeing some sort of visual with that I think would be quite powerful yeah no 100% and I I would love to see that blueprint as well I dare say we will never see that um I'm curious as to how much happened here will be now influencing and changing the story of Fear the Walking Dead will have an impact on the movie will have an impact on the the Karen Daryl series I feel like they they'd had a lot of things in there and I don't know I'm not going to say it made we're watching it uh for for these two seasons completely worthwhile but it's uh it was certainly something which really got me thinking afterwards so that's not something i've been able to say this season there we go i think you know it goes back to if you're a walking dead fan and you haven't watched any of this like i would honestly just so love to hear from you if you're watching this fresh or like this is your first time walking dead because it may well be such a different experience the kind of you know, binge this over a weekend than the the two years that we've spent yeah. watching the show. I, I think that's the key. I think I honestly think you're right. I think um, if you were to watch that in one go, because you could feasibly twenty episodes, you could feasibly do that over a couple of weeks quite quickly, and maybe it's more cohesive. And you know, maybe we're the uh, we're the twenty episodes. Of crime. You don't know how high I can fly. Let's <laughs> you know. <laughs> Shall we uh, transition over to Fear the Walking Dead? Yes, so Season 7, Episode 8, Padre, the much-talked-about Padre, and finally we get an episode devoted almost entirely and certainly central to Alicia, who is centre stage, and crikey, quite a few things happen in this one, and I'm... I'm going to hand it straight to you and say, are they writing her out in this one episode or has she misdiagnosed her condition and actually she's just got a bit of a fever, she'll be fine tomorrow? Um, I hope they're not writing her out, but I honestly, the way they treat this character, nothing would surprise me anymore. But I'll tell you, Paul, like I was genuinely shocked that she had lost her arm. Mm. Um, and I'll tell you what's kind of weird is that both in World Beyond and Fear the Walking Dead, Two characters lost their arm. Two main characters. Yeah. Well, they do it a lot. They did it with Herschel with his leg. They've done it with Aaron. And now they've done it with Alicia. But often not in sync, though, right? Like, it's kind of you know, the, the fact that we had world, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and fear, right? Yeah. So it's it's kind of like, that's weird that it's happening for both. I thought the way they did it with Alicia was quite cool. And I'll tell you, I would not want to lose my arm by her, um, the end of her big... M50 machine gun or whatever it is that seemed like get me an axe get me I, what she had to do was bloody horrific I funny she said I turned to Diana when that happened and I said I, I don't know if that's if that's actually a real thing I don't think that would be feasible that you could do that to yourself and and be able to do multiple stabs to ensure you cut the whole thing off without passing it. I think you passed out after the first one if not the bite itself but um look I'll, I'll let that go also i'll tell table if you're gonna do it like i don't think she went high enough like <laughs> yeah. so she went just above the bite like you you don't have time like i think you've got it she should have gone above the elbow well this is someone who's used to, you know, who's experienced in slaying people this is this is a this is definitely something that i would have done as well um 
look, it's a fascinating episode. The whole, the whole dynamic between her and Strand. What's your take on that? Why is Strand so obsessed with Alicia? Have I forgotten something, or is it something significant, or what? Um, no, I think he's just he's just committed to what was Alicia's mother's name. Uh, that is a very good question. Uh, well, you look that up. I think I think it's the commitment to Alicia's mum that he would look out for her. And I think you know, if you you know, you go back, Madison. Alicia Strand, Madison, they've all been connected since basically the the first couple of episodes. And I think there's this kind of uh, uh, unspoken loyalty he has to her. But at the same time, I find Strand a little bit frustrating because. I feel that if you want Morgan dead, Strand, you could have done it so many times now, and you're constantly just kind of reappearing as this kind of "Ah, I'm here again, um, um, far away bad guy." And it's it's like either be a bad guy or don't be a bad guy. Don't just sort of like you know flirt around the edges with it. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. I I do wonder where his character is going, and ultimately, the way they're painting him, it feels like it's going to be either him or Morgan and I don't see this universe killing off Morgan because he's he, he's he's for me head and shoulders uh, above he's he's just a great actor and a superb character there was a lot of things in this episode that um I sort of when I look back on it, just looking at the photos now on IMDb and just thinking um just based on the clothes you're wearing, you're assumed to be part of a gang or something like everyone looks to be wearing the same sort of stuff to me. I don't know. There was a lot of decisions being made about who was getting shot at and who wasn't getting shot at. Um, it's there's some paper thin writing going on here. And sometimes I just wonder if this is a really bizarre question, but in a real zombie apocalypse, would there really be this much tension between the humans at that level that they're describing in this show. I just sometimes wonder if they've, this is where black summer for me is more black and white, where there's so much gray, mm-hmm. there's so much gray area that I think sometimes, I, I sometimes I think, do they forget this is a zombie apocalypse? I don't know. It's interesting. And I think one of the other sort of, I think frustrating things for me in this episode was the, the character who Alicia meets and when she's escaping through the tunnel mm. And obviously he, you know, looks after her and he's like, you know, reveals at the end that he loved her. I'm just like, I, I you haven't earned you haven't earned that emotional no. connection for me. Like, like it's if you want to tell that sort of story, then you should have been giving us glimpses into these characters and their interactions for the whole season. And it kind of just doesn't pay off in the way that I feel like they want it to. No, I agree. And this is a show that just put it back into context i think for us has been probably the top tier walking dead out of the three shows we've been watching but it's just it's just dancing a little bit on the sort of it's just coming back down to some of the stories into that sort of season three four level and i just feel like this show's got so much more potential there's so many great characters here i don't know where they're going with the alicia story long term i really i was thinking this episode man i really miss john dory I, I, he was always my favorite character, but I would just love to see how he might fit into this whole situation with Strand in this tower um, and, and where he might fit. I keep talking about the character of Daniel again, someone else who I really enjoy and he's not showing up enough. I just I just want this building that they're in just to be demolished. I just want everyone back out again. 
I agree with you. Like, I feel like, and they've kind of written Daniel out, right? Like, it's basically you've got dementia or Alzheimer's. Like, you're you're basically forgetful. You're not really needed. And I think you're right about this tower. Like, the fact that Alicia's like, "I'll take this tower from you." It's like, it sounds like you're taking a toy off a off a five year old. Mm. And it's like, I feel like it's it's the tower isn't a believable enough plot point because you know it's surrounded by this moat of walkers strand seems to be able to come and go as he pleases with with no qualms it's like you've got half the people in there who could easily take it over i'm not even clear why strand's really in charge like it's yeah it's just full of plot holes and i think you're right like i would almost rather you know we've talked about this with the walking dead many times as soon as you know in the original season um, they got everyone from the governor's camp and they brought everyone into the prison. Too many people. Like, let's cull the herd, get a tight group of um, people surviving in the wilderness and maybe get in as far away from the radiation as possible. Like, I don't know about you, Paul, but if a bomb's gone off and you're in a safe zone because of the immediate wind pattern, I feel like that's not going to last forever. Correct. Time to move on. It's time, definitely time to move on. It's interesting you talk about the, the prison from from the original Walking Dead, because there's a similar scenario where it was like a stronghold, a fort. But the difference was there was, because we love Rick and the gang and they're our heroes and they're the ones that we have this relationship with, I wanted them to protect that fortress. And so when someone came to attack it, I was on the side of the good, whereas with this one, it's like the bad guys have got the tower and it's just it just doesn't seem to work as as well. And I just don't understand why. I just don't, understand why there's so much hatred between all of the characters and why everyone's so i'm going to kill you and literally morgan would have died in that episode if not for alicia sticking her what we thought was her real arm but of course was actually already her fake arm interestingly made out of her own bones that's quite a commitment dan if you cut if you lose your arms are you going to save the bones and recreate them yeah that that was whack wasn't it like i was like what's going on here and actually now you say that that's actually even a more of a mirror image of the way that elton lost his arm that's right and like like so like are they aware like are the same writing teams over this that this is literally the same anyway they're they probably are. They're probably like in two separate rooms and saying, oh, wait till they see this. And like, yeah. meanwhile, at the top, Kirkman's just doing his nut, probably. I'll tell you, when I saw her bones in there, which was weird, um, I thought I thought the bone might have still been attached, but it, she'd somehow like like stripped all the skin. And I was like, how is this working? And I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom how it was all connected. Um I don't know if weird. this is something that was in the comics or what, but it felt like something that might, might, might work well in a comic scenario but it just didn't translate well on on screen nice to see john glover back as teddy one last time our favorite villain of all yeah, time yeah, that's true. um but yeah it's uh what have we got now with the fear the wing dead how many we've got um april we've got to wait to april so we've got a long stretch now for me i'm gonna say as a sort of mid-season finale there wasn't quite enough of a finish and as you say just screaming at the end i'm going to take this tower from you i'm like i couldn't care less yeah take it and i think you know final comment from me on this is you know i know that they've really sort of set morgan up as the main character and i think you know as a as an actor absolutely amazing as a character he's pretty interesting but i'll tell you paul and i guarantee they're going to do it come april next year is they'll give morgan another um personality conflict is I don't want to do this anymore I'm going to end it all like and and that's just the same roller coaster they do with Carol yep. 
um, all the time. And, and they've done it so many times with Morgan. And you can just see them going down this path again. As soon as Morgan gets everyone all set up, he's like, I'm done, I'm tired, I can't do this anymore, and we have to go off on this, on this journey. I'm, I'm not on board for that story whatsoever. But, um, yeah, a very strange mid-season finale. But let's see. Let's see how we feel come Easter time because that's where we're going to be when Fear the Walking Dead returns. Good stuff. Good stuff. I'm glad to have a break, actually. And I think sometimes they almost don't do themselves a favour, actually, having you know both shows on at the same time. Yeah. Um, but anyway, or maybe they do. Who knows? And let's I think, move on. I think we'll do what we said we'd do. Um, we'll do a season review next time rather than week by week because I think it it definitely helps to think about this as a cohesive whole rather than an individual element, right? Indeed, indeed. All right, shall we move on over to the movie of the week? Indeed. So each week, Dan and I take it in turns to choose a movie to watch and review on the podcast. Uh, we post the movie we're going to choose seven days in advance into our Discord channel, which you can join by clicking on the show notes wherever you're listening to this podcast. And then you can watch along with us. And this week, Dan, what do we watch? This week, Paul, we watched the 2021 movie The Power of the Dog, which you can currently watch on Netflix here in New Zealand. Dan, we are on, for me... I'm just saying this is popularity number two on IMDb at the moment. That's how high it is. We're on a hell of a run, I feel, with Movie of the Week. I was looking at it. like The last three, the How Do They Fall, was brilliant. Then last week, Lion, I think I said, for me, was possibly one of the best movies of the week we've, we've watched all year. And then this week, another absolute standout movie, The Power of the Dog, Charismatic rancher Phil Burbank inspires fear and awe in those around him. When his brother brings, brings home a new wife and her son, Phil torments them until he finds himself exposed to the possibility of love. That That's sort of the summary that is on screen. I don't know if it does enough to explain the sheer power of this whole movie. We're back in Montana. It's 1925. Where do we start with this one? Well, we're back in New Zealand. That's, that's the even crazy. Yeah, that's right. So, um, look, this is star-studded cast. So we've got Benedict Cumberbatch, um, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, and I'll tell you, Paul, though this was, I think, a wonderfully acted movie and a great story for some people, this is a long movie. This is, mm. this is good on reflection, but I don't know if I could tell you I had a great time watching it. But thinking about the movie... I feel like I've got a much higher opinion of the time that I had. If you does it make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I know I know what you mean. For me for me I did enjoy I mean to the point I'm not often the sort of person to watch something and feel so inspired that I want to go and read the book. But this is I came out of this and I was just like this this was great. This is one book I could go check out from my local library and actually sort of read it. That's how much I enjoyed it. It was, as you say, slow burn and a slow burn movie as we talk about a lot doesn't always work but when the writing and the production and the cast is as good as this i just love it and that measured what do you call it um this uh, sort of like this un in no hurry its own particular pace works so well for a story like this for me and as you say just seeing it against for a lot of it against the backdrop of was that Otago or Canterbury? I did read it somewhere. Uh, I think it was Otago, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, beautiful. I, 
I think, you know, I think Benedict Cumberbatch does a, a performance of a lifetime, right? He, he plays such a a great, grizzled, angry cowboy who is mad at the world, mad at kind of society, doesn't like change. And I think one thing that this movie does quite well is it actually keeps the tension fairly high, even mm-hmm. though it's slow boom, because I found myself, because it's not really, to be honest, until the last 10 minutes of this movie, when the whole thing kind of just unfolds and it's like, oh, God. Yeah. Um, that you don't actually know who the who the bad guy is in this film. Like, you know that like there's bad behaviours, but you, like, I, to be honest with you, and I don't know whether I'm just scarred from Breaking Bad, but I was waiting for Jesse to turn. I was waiting for something <laughs> terrible to happen. I, I kept waiting for something terrible to happen to Peter, um, the, the the son. I was expecting it to be, and everything that was going on, and, and, and Phil, played by Benedict, I was expecting Phil's, change in behavior and change in attitude. I was expecting to be part of an, an elaborate plot. I felt like it was um, all a big setup. I, yeah, and I was terrifying to sort of, I didn't didn't suspect um, George, Jesse Plemons. I didn't suspect him, but I did think, oh, Phil's, Phil's not going uh, about this for, for, you know, out of the goodness of his heart. But I, um, yeah, there was... All four of the leads, as you say, were were superb. It was it was great to see uh, Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst back together as a couple again after their marriage in Fargo. I was like, were these two together in Fargo? I couldn't remember. And I was like, yeah, no, they were. I thought Kirsten in particular. I thought she was really convincing. I thought she gave a very very raw emotional performance as Rose. And of course, when she was her character was. Um, being just tormented and just to the point of alcohol, it was just that whole journey was quite hard to watch. And I thought she was, I just feel like I haven't seen her in a long while. I know this is probably a little bit unfair, but I'm, I'm still thinking Spider-Man. And then in between, I'm thinking, what else have I seen her in other than Fargo? And I'm sure she's been in lots of stuff, but for me, this is an absolute standout. She was the the young girl in interview with a vampire. Oh yeah, like, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No. Another classic one in, in her repertoire. Yeah, look, I think, yeah, the more as we talk about this film, I actually do have a much better review of it than I think my experience of watching it. And I think it is a movie and probably a book that, as you say, it's a great kind of conversation piece. And, you know, we've already probably dropped quite a few spoilers um, about this film without actually sort of reveal, like, you know, without sort of revealing all the sort of plot points. I think it is like, it is interesting. It does deal with some interesting topics considering you know like in 1925 and and how people might have had to sort of deal with those different situations oh yeah that's the thing it's the the 1925 element really changes how this movie plays out in terms of if this was set in a modern context just on so many levels it was it was yeah and the the feel of it was so authentic it really um i think having sort of watched so much Yellowstone recently this was a really uh, nice change of of pace uh, change of time change of um, just that whole culture that existed at that point the other person I wanted to quickly mention Dan was um, I guess almost the newer kid on the block Cody Smith McPhee who played the role of Rose's son uh, Peter I I think I can only really remember him from being an X-Men but I thought he was really superb in this and as you say benedict cumberbatch i haven't really talked about him either it just 
he has this ability to do. We were talking about Kevin Costner in Yellowstone a couple of episodes ago. Just the ability to convey so much with just a, a look or a wince or just the furrowing of his brow. He's so intense. And in this movie, so terrifying. He was there was so much going on there. There was so much jealousy and torment and all these things. And as you say, it meant even though it was a slow burn, the tension was there all the way to the end because you just didn't know what was going to happen with him. Mm. No, I think this is a it is a powerful movie. I think I'm glad to have watched it in the comfort of my own home. Yeah, I was just going to say, because there's some people here in New Zealand who've been watching it, of course, at uh, the cinemas, because it's um, been released in the cinemas as well. And I understand from a lot of people who've watched the cinemas, they've really enjoyed that. But for me, and I don't know... If, for me it's not a friday or saturday night movie that for, for what i typically consider like a james bond or alien or predator this is the definition of a great sunday afternoon watch um and look i f- i feel like i don't know if i'm just so old now that it just appeals to me or if it's just that good but i feel like this could easily feature amongst some of the big awards so the you know the oscars and so on because it's uh it's got that grandeur and that feel but yeah i i'm the same as you dan i for me on my couch at home on a sunday afternoon not 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 a cinema one for me but who knows everyone who watched at the cinema that i've spoken to really enjoyed it there yeah i've heard nothing but positive stuff so i think you know given my i'm a bit mixed on where to score this one maybe a three guns akimbo for me Fair enough. I'm uh, I'm going all the guns on this one. It was a really different type of movie for me. It wasn't at all what I expected. I was mainly interested in watching it because A, I love Western B, Benedict Cumberbatch was the big draw card, and C, of course, um, the chance to see uh, a Jane Campion movie um, and, and know that it's been filmed, parts of it at least, in New Zealand. There was a lot of appeal here, but um, yeah, this this... I guess go check it out because this is a dark movie, right? There's a lot of stuff in here that's sort of, um, I don't know, really intimidating the way Benedict plays his character. And it's uh, it can be, in that respect, quite quite a scary watch, I think, for some people. And it's fascinating. Indeed. That's our movie of the week. You can watch it here on Netflix. If you would like to check out our movie of the week next for next week, you should come and join our Discord channel where we announce that every Monday. Dan, what have you got for me on the news desk this week? A couple of things on the news desk. So uh, it looks like we're about to get a full trailer for the new Halo TV series. So Halo is a you know about Halo Ball video game? I I just remember you talking about this a while ago, and I thought, oh, this has been a while coming. It has been, and there's been a, a few different takes of it um, and a few sort of, I think, failed attempts as well, but it looks like we're finally getting a trailer. But I'll tell you, Paul, this is another show coming to Paramount Plus next year. Paramount Plus, it's building momentum. They better get it out of New Zealand, I'm telling you. I'm so glad you're on board the hype train that is Paramount Plus. And, you know, we've just recently had the trailer for 1883. Oh, yeah. Now the Paramount Plus exclusive. And that trailer, that looks incredible. I Just give me all the Yellowstone. I'm, I'm so about it. That was one of the, the few new things I was going to bring to the table as well was that Yellowstone 1883 trailer um, and Sam Elliott. Wow. It's amazing. It looks fantastic. It looks like um, 
Tom Hardy's Venom will begin in a third movie. So that is currently um, under development at the moment, which is exciting, I think, for both Venom fans and uh, the Spider-Man universe. It also looks like um, Shang-Chi is getting a sequel. So we've only just had that at the movies, mm. part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You can watch it on Disney Plus right now. Fantastic stuff to see that we're getting a, a second movie. Um, what else here? The Boys, which is a, a favorite TV show of mine on Amazon Prime, is getting an animated um, series in 2022, which will sort of be a, a small sort of spin-off, but it looks like some of the same characters, so that will definitely be great to check out. Can't wait for The Boys Season 3. I presume we'll be getting that sometime early next year. Uh, and oh, one, oh no, two final bits of news for me. So uh, Danny DeVito would love to reunite with Tim Burton to reprise his role as Penguin. Give that movie to me, Paul. I saw that I, summer as well. TV... TV show, crowdsource it. I didn't, let's just make that happen. Danny DeVito as the Penguin, amazing. It's one of the highlights for me of Batman Returns. He was sensational, and his all of his scenes were with Michelle Pfeiffer, with Michael Keaton. Um, as you were saying that, and I was remember reading, it, I was thinking, oh, would there be a way that he could have come into the Flash somehow? But of course, no, because he ended up face down in the in the sewer. So um, it'd be interesting to see how they might bring that about whether he's he's brought back to life whether there's another angle alternate universe i don't know i don't even care just bring him back yeah well it is interesting right because um colin uh colin farrell who is playing the penguin in the upcoming uh batman movie has apparently just signed on for a the spin-off t- tv show and he's gonna he's gonna play the penguin in that so i, I think there's this space like i think you know we've had a you know, an independent Joker movie. Give me a a penguin independent R sixteen movie. I'm all about it. I would love that. Oh yeah, that would be really good. Uh, and then final bit of news for me, and this is something we've talked about a long time on the podcast, is what is happening with Daredevil and you know our other characters like John Bernathal as the or Bernthal as the as the Punisher. Um, and we have finally got confirmation. This is from Kevin Feige himself, the man behind the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I quote, If you were to see Daredevil in upcoming things, Charlie Cox, yes, would be the actor playing Daredevil. Where we see that, how we see that, when we see that remains to be seen. But that is all I need, Paul. That is straight from straight from the horse's mouth. You like it's so good that we're gonna be getting more Daredevil. And like I'm so happy. I'm so happy for the fans. I'm happy for Charlie Cox. It gives me hope for what might happen with the Punisher. This is this is great news in the in the Marvel world. I was a massive fan of the whole Defenders series, all four of them, and the Defenders themselves. But Charlie Cox's Daredevil is just that's we talked about this many times. If you try to recast him at this point, it's too early to recast. They've made the right decision, and this is what I love. Despite many other things about Disney. This is one of the things I love about Disney. They do things right in distribution and they do things right when they listen to the fans and they've they've demonstrated this so many times. And once again, this is, without even seeing, as we, we don't know what it's going to look like, it's the right decision. Hands down, it's the right decision. That's good. And look, I wouldn't be like, you know, there's plenty of opportunity for some Daredevil cameos in Moon Knight, 
upcoming Spider-Man movies. Who knows? There's so many things where where he could feature. But that, Paul, is me this week. Anything on your end? No, those last couple of stories were what I'm going to bring. The the Colin Farrell Penguin series is um, is quite exciting because um, because we haven't even seen Colin Farrell as the Penguin in the Batman movie, and he's already got a TV series confirmed. That's that was my big news item this week. I was very excited about that. Um, I'll take us across to our mailbag quickly. Just a couple of things this week. Um, then we were flooded with some messages this week across all of our channels uh, with people sending us screenshots of their of their Spotify. Um, you know how they do the Spotify year wrapped? Well, they were showing us that Half Measures was in their top five, in some cases even their number one. Uh, and even people who didn't, who don't even use Spotify um, were also messaging us to say that we were in their top five. So special thanks there to Bruce Gray and to Katie in Wellington. And also thank you to Spotify um, for the dashboard that they sent us, Dan, because in the last year, our listeners have gone up 181% across the 22 countries and that's on Spotify alone. So that's pretty good growth for the product, you know, for the production team, the producers. What the listeners don't know is we could only have one listener and that's like, you know, three more people and <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's huge for us. That's right. Um, there, there's more than that, thank goodness. Um, so, yeah, thank you to everyone who tunes in, whether it's every week or whether you're tuning in just for something specific you want to hear a review of. Um, Guns Akimbo producer Tom Hearn, he's been in touch again. Uh, he sent us a direct message, DM, on Instagram saying thank you for the support and the review of Shadow in the Cloud that he was the producer of. Um, between the two of us, Dan, we've now reviewed four of his films and TV shows, all great hits. So Tom Hearn is pretty awesome. Benedict Wall, uh, who played Tommy in Shadow in the Cloud, also DM'd us. I love these DMs, uh, saying thank you for the great review. And then Roseanne Liang, the director of Shadow in the Cloud, and she's also contacted us like three or four times as well. So I'm going to now say friend of the show. She messaged us to say, um, you guys are the best. Thank you for making me feel so chuffed. I feel you're always so kind to me. And then she asked, you tell me if you hated something, right? Um, so I guess the pressure's now on for season two of Creamery. That, you know, that now has to be as good as season one. Otherwise, I guess we'll have to tell her then. Indeed. Your review of White Lotus got a level online. The hype around that show is definitely real, I think, Dan. We had Connie Britton's official fan club. Um, she's like, she was one of the lead actresses in White Lotus. Um, she share, They shared our review with their 60,000 followers, so that was pretty cool. We got a lot of traffic coming through there. And finally, last week's peak performance was David Wenham. And we had three come in this week, and all three were in agree with their peak performance. Ryan from Oakland... He says, has to be Faramir. Uh, Zendria from British Columbia says, Faramir, sorry, is my number one. And Paddy from Time Traveling Tink Podcast gave us his 321. Deadliest Warrior, uh, in which Wenham narrates each episode. Uh, Dilios from 300. And number one, Faramir in Return of the King, especially his scenes, he says, opposite John Noble. That is our mailbag this week, Dan. That is a great shout. It must be time for our peak performances. Yeah, so just like movie of the week, Dan and I take it in turns to choose someone to look back at their career and choose what we think is their very best performance. And this week we went with the actress Helen Mirren. 
Alright, so this week, Paul, I have gone with a movie that we reviewed here on the podcast um, quite some time ago now. Uh, it is called The Good Liar. So this is my runner-up for Helen. She plays a fantastic role in a bit of a, a kid and mouse game with Sir Ian McKellen. And it's probably a little bit of recency for me, but I, I love this movie. I loved her role in it. I loved her sort of toe-to-toe with another fantastic uh, actor. And look, Good Liar, highly recommended. Watch with the family. It's a, it's a good time. Actually, is it? There's, there's some dark there stuff. There are some dark stuff in there. In, in, gen, in general. It's a great in general. watch, though. Yeah, yeah, great watch. Maybe not so much with any uh, young ones around. Uh, but for my peak performance, I can't do it, Paul. I have to go Fast and the Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Helen Mirren's role in there is Jason Statham's mum. No. Absolutely incredible. She's so great, and I love that she's driving the cars. She's got the good banter, and she's just... It's so good. I, I'm giving you this peak performance. She deserves it. Paul, this is the, uh, you know, it's a piece of it's a piece of art. Her acting in a this. piece of art. It really is. I love that. I do love that because I, I struggled this. I had it to five, and I couldn't almost pick. I knew what number one was going to be, but I was so hard on the. Uh, on the honorable mention, but I have to say, Fast and the Furious wasn't amongst the five. So it's wonderful that we both bring different things to the podcast each week, right? Uh, in the end, and this may sound a bit cliche, but in the end, the honourable mention for me was uh, 2006's The Queen. Um, uh, in some ways, it was it's almost hard not to give it the peak performance because you know playing the Queen is always going to be highly scrutinised and you know such a massive undertaking. Of course, this movie deals with um, the death of Princess Diana and the immediate aftermath of you know what the royals reaction were at that time and and the newly elected pm tony blair of course and the manner in which she plays the queen she doesn't try and do any sort of caricature or she just plays it real natural and even though this isn't my peak performance for her this is a role i think she'll it probably demonstrates the full depth of her acting ability and you know she got the oscar for this she got the golden globe for this she got the bafta for this for best actress for all of them and I guess that says it all. And now she has a half measures honourable mention to add to that list. So that was the honourable mention. But the peak performance for me that I couldn't go past was her role as Jane Tennyson in Prime Suspect. The role that made her famous, the one that started all off, um, you know, seven series and all the movies that that they made from two from ninety one through to two thousand six. And the way she grew into that role just got better and better. And I really wish they'd done more, actually, because the, the later ones where she was, you know, obviously a little older, I felt she was really coming into her own in terms of that sort of experience was becoming her friend. And it really, I just thought she was great. And of course, in those early series in 91, in that, in that male-dominated chauvinistic workplace, she is a force to be reckoned with. I mean, Helen Mirren is a strong character anyway, but putting her in that environment, I loved it. It was so good that they made that, spin-off series obviously not slurring her but you know based on jane tennyson when she was a young cop in the 70s as a beat cop making her way up to detectives so so yeah for me prime suspect is my peak performance honorable mention the queen and always hilarious on a chat show helen mirren dame helen mirren sorry yeah oh you're right yeah she's always gone on like graham nordens and stuff like that isn't she yeah. i um believe it or not paul have never seen the queen 
Dan, we're stopping the podcast right now and we're going to go away and we're going to go and watch The Queen. That's that, that's that's a movie that needs to be watched. As I say, it, well, it nominated for seven Oscars. I, yeah, I could talk about that movie at length. So if we ever do a rewatch of that, that would be great. Well, well that probably brings us to the end of uh, another and quite a long episode of the Half Mishes podcast. We do tend to ramble on. But with The Walking Dead in the rearview mirror, maybe we'll be back down to an hour. We'll see. Um, thanks again for listening in. And don't forget, you can get in touch with us on our social media or at halfmeasurespodcast.com. Also, a very special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa, and Linda Tevner. We couldn't do this show without your support. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.